Hi, and welcome to episode four of Career Advice. We are a couple coming to you talking about various topics ranging from personal development, career growth, financial literacy, and of course, vices. Ooh. And I'm your host, Sean, here with my co-host, Ling. Hello, listeners. And I just wanted to say thank you all for your continued support as we move along on this journey of creating a podcast. As you as you can probably tell, we release podcasts weekly, one episode per week. It's a challenge for sure, but it's been really, really fun. Recording each of the, these has been a fun experience each time, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been really fun. And I just want to thank everyone for sending in words of encouragement and feedback, you know, on what we do well, what we can do better. And we welcome all suggestions and feedback. We are also learning. We don't know everything. And this is a journey, like you said. Yeah. Whether you are tuning in for the first time or you've listened to all of our episodes thus far, thank you. Uh, keep keep that feedback coming. We are here to grow alongside you, not just in our careers, but also as podcasters, because this is new to us. So it's been a very, very interesting journey, and I've been really liking every second of it. And on that topic of careers, we're going to talk to you today about how much can you really plan when it comes to your career? Mm-hmm. Hopefully a topic that people who have been working for a long time or people who are starting out their career can relate to. I feel really nice and encouraged when friends tell me that they feel relatable to the content that we discuss here in our podcast. Yeah, I was talking to some of my coworkers today who've been listening and they're like, yeah, this stuff resonates with me. This is great. Keep it up. And yeah, for sure. Thank you. It it really does. And hopefully this topic today will too, but also to resonate with students people trying to figure out what the heck they want to do in their lives because the plans you make when you're young are very different from the plans you probably have now as an adult or young adult or however old you may be Mm -hmm. today we'll be asking each other a series of questions around career planning and i hope that as you listen to us you will also take time to pause to reflect and think about your own answers to these questions and Join us on this conversation. Yeah. See how far you've gone. Look back on your accomplishments thus far in your career. And also like how things might have changed. Everyone's life circumstances are different. Maybe things have changed in your lifestyle or the people you're with and your desires change. Where you live is different. It's, it's all, it's all very, uh, very hard to predict. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like, like, like Ling said, We're going to start with some questions. We're going to move on to lessons learned. And then we're going to talk about our advice. Sounds like a great plan. Let's turn the clock back all the way. (laughs) 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 Let's think about your senior year in high school. Oh. And the decision you made to attend a certain university for a certain program. Yeah. I think that decision has a big impact on where we are today and we both made very different decisions for where we were at the time yeah how did you decide to study computer science at university of toronto yeah i wanted originally to study computer engineering Mm. at waterloo Ooh, very different well not that different very similar but quite different programs. I knew I always wanted to stay in Ontario. I had no interest in going elsewhere. I wanted to stay close to home. I have a very tight connection with my parents. I wanted to be able to see them very often. The plan was never to live at home, uh, but that was, that's what ended up happening for the first term, at least of my time in school. So I've always been fascinated by computers, um, but I had always been thinking about getting into finance accounting. Hmm. In my first year, I wasn't just taking computer science. I took a bunch of different stuff that I might have wanted to turn into a minor, like economics, psychology, astronomy, a lot of different things. But I think first and foremost, I really liked University of Toronto. I like computers. So that was 
the thing I wanted to do. But I think it was also kind of weird because back then when I was 18, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Originally, mm-hmm. my plan was to be an architect. Oh. I wanted to build homes. I really love floor plans and homes. And like I'd play that game, The Sims, growing <laughs> up a lot. I'd, I wouldn't care about The Sims too much. I would just like play that game and build houses, really cool looking houses, in my opinion. And sometimes these houses would have like rooms with no door. No, I wouldn't mm. do that that much, but I would, <laughs> I would, I would try to build a house that I would want to live in and I would do that pretty often, but computer science seemed like the next best thing. Very interesting. Yeah. How about you? You studied, can you, can you remind me where you studied? Can you, can you tell the folks what you did? Yeah, I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode. I came to Canada in 2009, which is when I started grade 11. And I went to a public school in Stratford, Ontario. How many other Asians were there or people of color were there in your school? <laughs> I, I could probably count the number of Asian people and not Caucasian people on just one hand yeah, <laughs> with the showing, fingers on one hand. one hand. Yeah, that is Indeed, one hand. Yeah. <laughs> and fun fact, the high school that I went to is the same high school that Justin oh, yeah, Bieber attended. Right. And I missed that's him, right. I think, by, by a year. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a clue on what I wanted to study. Just so happened that all of my math teachers really loved me. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. you're the very studious type or some yeah, other reason? Yeah, well, that stere- you know, the stereotype of Asian being good at math. It yeah. was very true for me. <laughs> and all of my math teachers in high school there were three of them they all went to university of waterloo for math oh and so when i was talking to them and said i didn't really have a plan for what program or what university i want to go to they all encouraged me to apply to the math program at waterloo i think it's really fascinating that your high school teachers had such a big influence on your choice that's really cool that's right um, and my parents in Vietnam, they have, you know, a small business that they've, they have always been running. So I didn't just want to study math because I was thinking to myself, what exactly can I do with a math degree, you know, yeah. in, in four years? Uh, so I ended up going to the double degree program, um, right. math at Waterloo, and then a business degree from Wolfrit Laurier University. Fancy. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, you know, after spending five years there... I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do for the first two, three years. I thought I wanted to become an accountant and I did a couple of internships in accounting and it was not my cup of tea. (laughs) So I still like math coming out of it. No. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I I think I, I appreciate the fact that I learned a lot about logical thinking and how to problem solve, but the actual courses that I took in university I don't think I really enjoyed them. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fair. And it's really interesting to hear that and also like t- talk about this in relation to how your career has progressed so far. Mm-hmm. Starting very kind of math heavy in the internship to your first your first full-time job to your next one to all, all the time where you are up until now. We're g- we'll get into that later and throughout the series. But yeah. Yeah. As a follow-up question to that, what kind of career planning did you do, if any, in university? I, I did none. <laughs> Very little. I was not the best student in university. I, I did well in some of the courses that were really interesting to me. There were some, like, building circuits on what's called a breadboard you basically have a bunch of wires and Mm. little chips and you're you're building like rudimentary computers on these things and those were super super fascinating you learn how to like basically how how to program a very a very simple computer and Mm -hmm. you know through through it it's very easy stuff well i say easy but you you do things like build a calculator Mm. using these tools and it's really cool to see how that comes together. And I, I love that kind of problem solving and seeing seeing something working that you built yourself. And I think a lot of that translated to where I am now in my career. Mm. Like I find the most joy out of like that gratification of building something that you can touch or feel or play with or use. And mm. maybe more recently 
helping people get where they need to be and see them seeing them succeed. Interesting. That's a bit of a diversion. That's that's all to say, like, I did no planning for my <laughs> career. I just honestly wanted to get a job at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I could. Yeah. I remember when I was in second year of university, because I was part of a co-op program, and we have, mm-hmm. I think we had four co-op terms in total over a five five-year degree or program and at the time I mean Laurier is very big on accounting and finance so I thought if I had score a job with one of the big four my life would probably be set and that's how I started you know in accounting yeah those were those were your goals back then that's right Uh, but it was very tough (laughs) very very competitive (laughs) and so I ended up getting an internship with an accounting firm, but in Stratford. So, you know, just a year after I left Stratford and thought I would never return, um, I went right back to where I started. What Was that accounting firm one of the big four accounting firms in Stratford? Uh, not one of the big four. I feel like they probably were the biggest accounting <laughs> oh, firm. Oh, the biggest in Stratford. Okay, so yeah. the big one. Yeah, the Stratford. big one. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, that experience about being the one that kind of stood out from school, like that experience of being like one of the very few non-Caucasian students at school. I have that exact same experience at work. I was the only Asian person in the office. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, everyone there was was really nice to me and had a really good learning experience. But that was um, how I got started. And I mean, I didn't do a whole lot of planning. I just felt very fortunate to have landed that internship with no connection whatsoever (laughs) yeah people like to say when you're getting started in your career or in school the best thing you can do for yourself for your career is just to get your foot in the door Mm -hmm. get that first batch of experience because that's the hardest thing to do it's it's hard to hire or be hired Mm -hmm. into a position that expects one to two years of experience when you have none Mm-hmm. When you're not given the opportunity to be hired into a position where they're expecting like fresh grads or people still in school, if they're not hiring interns and you can't get that job, like how do you get your foot in the door? Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting thing to, to think about. I think that's less of an issue in tech these days because mm-hmm. a lot of companies are in Toronto. Lots of companies are hiring. They want people of all different skill sets and levels of experience. So mm. it's not, not much of an issue. But was that an issue for you in school? Like searching, finding those jobs, getting your first job out of school? Yeah, I think for me, it was just really competitive in general. I'm the type who really loves to study and do nothing else. Yeah, And actually that kind of put me in a disadvantaged position oh. because lots of students, you know, who are in a business finance program, they are actually a lot more well-rounded. You know, they get involved with extracurricular activities on campus, building connections and all of that. And I mean, being the immigrant (laughs) that I was, I didn't have anyone around to kind of show me the way. And I thought all it mattered was about getting straight A in school. Yeah. Um, Looking back now, I wish I didn't study so hard. (laughs) Did you get involved in any clubs? I don't think so. Whoa. Also because I felt like I didn't have any time having to juggle between all of my classes at Laurier and then all of the classes at Waterloo. The level of difficulty is like very different between the two programs that I were doing and there was not a lot lot of time. But that not to say, you know, other people couldn't do it. They did. A lot of my Mm. classmates, you know, had time to do a lot of cool stuff on campus. I just didn't. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why I never got a job at the Big Four when I was a student, because they were really looking for that, you know, well-routed candidates who is not only smart, but also can present themselves really well, can, you know, work a room, yeah, go out there and meet with clients. And I didn't have any of that at the time. So I didn't have a lot of options, that to say. So I, you know, returned to that accounting firm in Stratford for my second co-op term. Oh, um, and then after that, I, I went on to work for General Electric 
when they were still really big <laughs> uh-huh. um, for one of their rotational program. That was my third co-op term. And then the last one, I think, was at another accounting firm, but in Toronto. I think what's really cool is from that stint you did at GE, mm. you formed a lot of connections there. Yeah, I did. That was the best part about that internship, actually. You must have learned a lot, too. Yeah, and there was a big decision that I had to make when I was at GE. Ooh. Hopefully, we'll get into that um, later in this episode. Nice. Okay, I'll be sure to come into that later. <laughs> cool. So the next question is, what assumptions do people have about your career? Ooh, that's an interesting one. So when we say career for you, what, what, do, you, what do you think of? I think when people hear or heard of my background being in math and finance, immediately a lot of people think that I work with numbers all day. That's probably the biggest assumption. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that I am in, you know, investment banking. That's actually one of the biggest career paths. That people in my program were going for. Okay. So most people who go into those programs you did will end up in investment banking. Yeah. So that's a pretty good assumption to make, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, people would just assume because I've done math, yeah. my career options would probably be somewhat limited. You know, you do risk management, capital markets, finance, that sort of job. And mm-hmm. I'm now in HR. <laughs> How much math do you do in your HR? <laughs> <laughs> not very much. Not not very much. <laughs> I do. I think though, um, you know, that skill set about problem solving and logical thinking, like you know, we use it every day mm-hmm. in our in our in our job. But yeah, no, I'm not being asked to model, you know, things and coming up with statistics in my job. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> Maybe soon. Once they realize how good you are at math. what about you what assumptions do people have about about you and your career i think there are a lot of assumptions many of them pretty true about careers in tech it is a hot topic right now a lot of people are in it a lot of people have chosen to to study it and a lot of people have switched their careers over into it i i had dinner the other day with with a good friend who recently moved into a software engineering role and Mm -hmm. they are learning a lot having a great time probably very different from what they envisioned they'd be when they're little but there's uh yeah there's there's a lot to do there's money to be made i think specific assumptions are things like it's a career where you always need to be learning and stay on top of your game and i think that's pretty true Mm -hmm. things are always changing in terms of technology and New startups and new companies generally like to use the hottest new thing Mm. as opposed to the thing that the old guard and companies use. Nobody wants to to build a new startup in C++ or some older frameworks. That means nothing to me. I know. (laughs) That's okay. You you don't need to know either. But basically there are new and shiny programming languages Mm. almost every day. And people like to play around with those and see what they can build. And a lot of that forms the basis for for startups that you'll see popping up from time to time. Mm -hmm. So keeping up your skills as a software engineer, even as you transition to management, is very, very important. And there are two, two different paths, too. This is another assumption. There are two different paths when you're in tech. You stay in the individual contributor role, which we call IC, or you move to management. And I think a lot of places see those as like two completely separate paths. You branch into management at some point in your career, and then that's your path for the rest of your career. And I think a lot of companies are starting to kind of deviate from that assumption and tell people like, it's okay if you don't want to be a manager anymore. It's not for everybody. It's something you can definitely try to see if it is, Mm -hmm. and if it is great. But if it's not, feel free to move back to IC, to Mm. individual contributor, like just write the code, work with people, be close to the technology, and that's perfectly okay too. Mm -hmm. 
when you talk about assumptions for the tech industry, that got me thinking about what assumptions people have about banking. Yeah, what are they? And I think the one that came to my mind is maybe a lot of people think, you know, working in a bank, you know, a job within a bank is very soulless (laughs) 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 because it's such an old, you know, institution, Mm -hmm. right? But I feel like the scalability and the thing that we can do as an organization of that size, when you have, you know, 100,000 employees is something that, you know, a startup with maybe a thousand employees cannot achieve. So if I take an example of, you know, the crisis that's happening in Ukraine right now, as a bank, right, we are there to support our customers who are in need. We are making donations because we could do it because of the size that we are and the profit that we bring in every year. And being able to see those good work that the bank does, I feel like it helps me, at least as an individual and as an employee to feel like the work that I do can help make a difference um, and we can help contribute to the community that we live in to our suppliers our employees so it helps add some level of fulfillment to your job even if you're not doing those things directly it helps you feel connected yeah and I think another interesting kind of assumption related to that is people assume Mm-hmm. banks are really slow moving it's hard mm. to to change on a dime or get something going on a whim mm-hmm. but i think that's a really good example where banks can can move real quick yeah and have an impact real fast in something like that crisis in mm-hmm. ukraine and help people there yeah that's that's great i love to hear that yeah it is it is really incredible and i mean even if you think back about you know when the pandemic first started in march 2020 mm-hmm. right and People lost their jobs and they didn't have income. They couldn't make payments on their credit card, on their mortgages. All of the banks actually, you know, took action to help clients to defer mortgage payment, credit card payments, and all of that great work that happened behind the scene and may not get highlighted in in the news. But those things happen. And I bet, you know, the people who are in the call center, who's calling clients, who's actually getting impacted, of the pandemic and COVID, they feel a great sense of fulfillment. And often enough, we don't think about that. When you call someone to complain about a charge on your credit card, you must think, oh my gosh, that person must hate their job. Like all they do is listen to people complaining. That's a tough job. That is a tough job. But think about, you know, those moments where they are stepping up to help people who really Mm -hmm. need help. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just think it must feel great to be able to do that. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to working in a call center, mm-hmm. the lows are very low when dealing with clients, mm. but the highs can be quite high because mm-hmm. you hear firsthand and immediately mm-hmm. how you're changing people's lives, especially when you're at a call center for something like a bank or financial institution, mm-hmm. how you're helping change their financial lives. That's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So what was your first full-time job? Oh, first full-time job. Um, right after I graduated, I worked at the Toronto Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. So that That's is a very cool, super cool, very cool institution. Um, you don't have that many stock exchanges in Canada or North American, North what? North America. Was it as chaotic as <laughs> you know, Wall Street and, and media portrays it to be? Um, we we don't <laughs> we don't we didn't have you know a physical trading floor. Everything what? is done, you know. It's been automated, so oh no, you gosh. don't you don't have people throwing slips around and screaming. Yeah. But regardless, I think I need to it buy was three million shares of GameStop <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> um, I heard GameStop, um, GameStop, GameStop stock, stock has uh, gone up again. Yep, it's on. Yep, yep. Things, hold, things are on the move. Hold on to those shares, people, <laughs> if you have them. Or if you if you bought low and you don't want to be on this wild ride anymore, <laughs> it's, it's a good time to get off. Maybe. Yeah. It's not, this is, this is not financial advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not certified financial advisors, by the way. Should put that disclaimer in there. Whoops. Um, but yeah, but no, the Toronto Stock Exchange is a very cool place to start a career in financial services industry. Is it a hard company to get into? Seems like an exclusive club. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people really seek it out. I mean, when you oh, want to what? enter the financial services industry, right? Most people think of, big banks mm-hmm. um, or, you know, pensions funds, 
asset management firms that sort of companies yeah. and they don't think oh i should go work for the toronto stock exchange as, as a layman i hear that and i go ooh, that's, <laughs> that's fancy yeah there was a couple of cool parts about you know that job um we have market open and market closed every day and often we bring clients in for those ceremonies and yeah. you get to go there and ring the bell i mean there's yeah. no physical it's bell a button, right? <laughs> um, you hit a button? But, but it's cool regardless yeah my company's got to do that a couple of times. Oh, that's right. I never, I've never been. Yeah. But maybe I'll, I'll be there at some point. That's really cool. Um, I hope, I hope your company will go public. Uh, trust me. <laughs> no one wants that more than me. <laughs> um, I remember when Freshie went public. That was super oh. cool because they brought in like merch, right? All like these Freshie swags that people yeah, could yeah. wear and then. They opened the market that day and it was really cool. Did you take any swag home that day? <laughs> did you get a freshy shirt? No, I, I, did I didn't. Freshy look? You know, the best part about that first full-time job was the people. I was oh. in a rotational oh. program and I made some really, really good friends um, from, from that program yeah. whom I still keep in touch with yeah. today. And we don't meet all the time, but whenever we meet, it's like Tam never passed like i'm yeah. sure you can i think that's the relate. sign of a very strong friendship yeah and hopefully i can bring you know some of those guys to uh to this podcast as host they've been working you know in the financial services industry just as long as i have been and they have some cool stuff to share <laughs> let's let's yeah. put it like let's, that let's work on that if you're listening you know who you are you know who you are <laughs> come on over <laughs> what was your first full-time job my first full-time job well, I think before that, that you touched on a few really cool things that I want to talk about later around, like bu your building connections is important mm. and how that influences your plan mm -hmm. and your career moving forward. But uh, my first job uh, was actually the company that I earned, interned at. I interned at Kobo, which is mm. a Canadian e-reading company now owned by a Japanese conglomerate, just like a giant called Rakuten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did my internship there and I was also very fortunate to have gotten an internship. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would get one while I was in school. My grades weren't the best. I wasn't the best student, like I mentioned. Uh, and my manager there, who I interviewed with, gave me a chance. Very, I was very fortunate. And uh, I did well. I just interview very poorly, <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> I did well and... After I finished up school, I went back there full time mm -hmm. uh, and I joined a team working in the back end, which means I was just like writing code that no one could see. And it was just moving data around, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and I stayed there for three years. Wow. I made a lot of friends, built mm -hmm. a lot of connections there, got close with a lot of people. Yep. Uh, and you have a lot of uh, e-readers. And Tell the people how many oh, Kobo e-readers oh you gosh. have or you have yeah. given out to family members. <laughs> so when I was an intern, I was on the devices team. Oh. So we were writing the software that was going on to physical devices. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, we were, you know, every six months, eight months looking to release a new different device. And it was great. It was fun. And we kept all the devices that we were <laughs> testing on. So some of them have like the backs torn off or like a... a a piece carved out of the back mm. to get to the circuit board to have some stuff soldered in so you could connect a cable directly to it and debug when stuff was going wrong. So after my internship, I was like, hey, what do I do with these devices? My boss was like, I don't know, take them home. <laughs> so I gave them away like candy for a bit. I took home like 15 e-readers. Oh my God. I don't have them anymore. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just gave those away. Yeah. I hope that company's not li listening. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Uh, but yeah, that was also my first job. I learned a lot. I had my first taste of management while I was there. Mm. Um, and it really helped me grow maybe mm -hmm. faster than I had anticipated Yeah, uh, into the role, into basically who I am today. Three years, though, at your years, first job long. out of school. I feel like that's relatively that long. long? Yeah, well, at least for long. people in banking, yeah, Wait, I think what? most people leave their first job within like 18 months to two years. Whoa. So people just don't get a job in a bank and become lifers? <laughs> Is that not how it works? I need education on this topic. <laughs> not always, at least not what I've seen. Okay. I, I think maybe with banking, 
you know, doesn't matter which bank you work for, the function is probably more or less similar. And you can get a really big pay bump if you move among banks. Mm-hmm. So that's why people probably think, well, if I can get paid 10K more for to do the exact same job, you know, at a shop next door, Sensible. why not take it? Yeah. yeah, just take the job. You get more money, mm-hmm. you get more recognition, mm-hmm. and you move up a lot faster than you would if you just stayed in the same place your whole career. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So let's talk about now, what was the best job decision you ever made? Remember when I was talking about General Electric or GE? Mm-hmm. Um, I had to make a very tough decision when I was there. Towards the end of my internship, I was offered a full-time role for a rotational program, but that would mean I need to move out to Peterborough or Alberta every six months, wherever the job will take me. And my brother at the time was planning to come to Canada to study. So I couldn't be moving every six months if he were to stay with me. Yeah. And I turned it down, even though, you know, General Electric is a much bigger company than the Toronto Stock Exchange. The salary they offered me was higher. There was a lot of promising exit opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I had to say no. And at the time, I was going into my first round of interview with TMX. And I didn't know whether I would have the job. So I basically declined this offer when I didn't have any, anything else lined Whoa, up. That, that is a big risk. That was a big risk and it was, it was scary. Um, but uh, I, I decided to just roll with it. And um, it just worked out that, you know, I ended up getting an offer from, from the Tro- Toronto Stock Exchange or TMX, that's what we call it. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the biggest scariest decision that I've made in my career so far and I feel like in a lot of way now I look back if I had accepted that offer from GE yeah I I actually don't know where where I might be now (laughs) (laughs) interesting to think about very interesting yeah I think for for me the best decision I ever made was actually probably a decision I never made Mm. That sounds pretty cool to say. It does sound very cool. Tell me more. And what I mean by that is eight years ago, nine years ago, I think people in tech, people who wanted to start their career as an engineer, software developer, the ultimate goal was to make it to the West Coast, to Silicon Valley, mm. get a job at one of the those big fang companies, mm-hmm. Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, one mm-hmm. of those. And that was my goal for a period of time, too. I was interviewing at some, some of those companies. I got flown over for, for one interview. That was a great experience. And I got to meet up with some friends who are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I didn't get that job. Um, but I had the option of continuing with some others. And I decided not to. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to stay put for a while mm. and gain some comfort in staying in Toronto. Because the tech scene was looking okay at the time. Mm-hmm. So I stayed. And now, today, that was an awesome decision because the tech scene in Toronto is booming. Mm. A lot of American tech companies are coming here. It's much easier to get a job. I thought you were going to stay. You were going to say you stay and then you met me. <laughs> that was also a very good benefit. <laughs> that, that's, that, that was probably number one. <laughs> that's That's number one. Right? Should we cut this part out? <laughs> no, we're not going to. Leave it in. Leave it in. You're number one. What else can I say? No, but I think it was a great decision. And I'm really happy being able to stay in Canada, in Toronto, the city I love, and mm-hmm. around family and friends. I'm happy, too, that you stay. Yay. Oh, <laughs> Cool. I'd love to move on now to lessons learned. Okay. Let's let's talk about it. What What are some things that... You learn through your career so far. You wish you had learned some advice you'd give to people just starting out. Mm-hmm. I've been in a number of mentorship programs, you know, both as a mentee and mentor. So some mm-hmm. of these things or lessons lessons learned that I'm about to share are things that I've learned from my mentors, um, things that I've experienced. 
yeah. in in my career within the last you know five or six years. So there are a couple of them. I think the biggest one for me is don't limit your career path based on your education or past experience. Okay. Just because you have studied a certain field in university or college and you've done a couple of roles in a certain industry, that doesn't mean you can only do things that are relevant to those experiences mm -hmm. or education background. You know, for example, when I was looking at the next opportunity sometime last year, a lot of the people that I've met with who've been in the industry for a long time, they all tell me that because I have a background in math, I've been in capital markets, I've been in risk management, I can do ABCD. <laughs> and then when I go out and meet with teams in those ABCD fields, I didn't feel quite excited about the work that they were doing. Yeah. Even though I feel like I could do the job, um, yeah. I didn't feel excited. And so I didn't want to go and pursue those, those opportunities. And I really spent the time to check in with myself and kind of do an inventory of what I'm good at, what I want to learn, what do I want to get out of my next job, and then just kind of approach the job search with that lens. And then that's how I ended up with this opportunity in HR, which when I tell people that I'm going to HR, everyone yeah. is looking at me and thinking I'm crazy. What do you mean you go into HR with a math background? You're wasting <laughs> your years of experience <laughs> and education background. It's kind of crazy to see how people react because they have this tunnel vision <laughs> on what they think you should be doing based on what you have studied or what you have done. Yeah. Those doors are never closed. Mm -hmm. Even as you're finishing up your, your schooling or your few years into your first full-time job you may feel like you're pigeonholing yourself but as long as you have you know the brain power to keep learning mm -hmm. and try something different and a little bit of an appetite for risk mm -hmm. in in you know flipping your career into something new mm -hmm. those doors are never closed and it, the same goes for tech too mm -hmm. we've hired so many awesome devs and engineers and product managers who never went to school for mm -hmm. computer science or computer engineering or anything like that. Mm -hmm. These are people who maybe did a boot camp for 12 weeks mm -hmm. and like found it to be a real passion of theirs or people who had just been coding on the side because they think it's fun and then decided to, you know, turn it, try and turn it into a full-time job. And these people actually like the ones who, are really passionate about this line of work mm -hmm. have been like those individuals who came to us, not from a computer science background where maybe they feel like, Oh, I like computers. I guess I'll do this. Mm. And more like, I really love these problems we're mm -hmm. trying to solve and how we're trying to solve them. Mm -hmm. You know, the act of coding and writing, writing code and building things in this way. It's very rewarding to some, some people. Yeah. You get gratification right away from building a thing and seeing it process data or, I don't know, help you spend money or figure out what you're doing with your money in a budgeting app, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the task may be. That makes a lot of sense. And I think from a people manager perspective, when I'm looking at people to add to the team, you want people who have a diverse set of experience. I don't want to bring in yeah. someone who has the exact same experience or skill set as the rest of the team because yeah. you're not really you know upskill the team or make this team stronger by adding someone who yeah has nothing new to add yeah. right i've i've worked with folks who come from like a client support background mm. marketing background who got their cfa and then did a boot camp and became an <laughs> engineer yeah like these are all uh, amazing people to work with and had awesome viewpoint viewpoints points of view to mm -hmm. share no, that's awesome. So yeah, the first lesson learned is don't don't limit your yourself to things that people say that you can do based on your experience or what what I would education. also add on to that is don't don't do something if you're doing it just for the money. Mm. You need to have like a personal stake in that 
career change as well. Like mm-hmm. if you want to get into tech because the thought of, mm. because you think you'll make a lot of money doing it, but you don't really care about the problems you're solving or mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you don't enjoy solving those problems. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make it very far. It's, it's a challenge and you have to keep going. I agree. And I think that ties in nicely with the second lesson learned that I want to touch on, which is yeah. a lot of people chase title oh, instead yeah. of responsibility or the learning potential. Yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of people out there who want to make it to vice president, senior vice president by a certain age. <laughs> and the reality is, you know, you can have a lot of managers, senior managers and directors, but once you hit that next level, you know, you're looking at a pool of candidates who are all super qualified and all really good. And guess what? There's only one CEO position. Yeah. <laughs> so not everyone who works at the bank will become a CEO. <laughs> yeah. And there will be that glass ceiling where you hit. And, you know, I think it's almost a little bit silly to think about, oh, if I'm a director, then I'm this and I'm that. Because the reality is, let's say you work in a contact center or in the mortgage world and you are a director, you might have 50 direct reports, you know, because just of nature of the portfolio or the business. Whereas if you are a director in a different part of the bank, you might report into a vice president and you have no one under you. So you're not having that leadership experience built and, so the title doesn't always mean everything. Yeah. I, I only laughed at, at the beginning when mm-hmm. you were first bringing this up because I was one of those people. <laughs> I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a CEO. <laughs> this was like in addition to somehow being an architect. I'm going to be a CEO architect. <laughs> but now as I've grown older, I yeah, I've, I've wisened up a little. Mm-hmm. I can't, not everyone can be a CEO. And mm-hmm. titles really, you know, they matter. When you get hired at a new job, they matter. But mm-hmm. in my company and in the companies I've worked at, you can have just as much of an impact with mm-hmm. your current title yeah. as you could when you were, if you were to be a VP or a director. Mm-hmm. You just have to have the drive to have an impact. And if you are a strong worker and you know what you want to do and have influence over people and can build that and build connections. Mm-hmm. You can get what you want. The money will come. The titles will come too. Yeah. The title will follow. The, the money will, will follow. follow. Yeah. Yeah. So focus on thinking about how you want to develop yourself, what skill set you want to add to your toolkit. I think that's way more important. You're going to be working for a long time. Oh yeah. Your career <laughs> um, is long. Yeah. So if you make it to director or VP within five years, what what exactly are you going to be doing for yeah, what, for the next? next what what's next, right? Yeah. Um. So I think that's the second you know lessons learned that I want to share, and the third one, I I think this is a bit of a hard truth for maybe people who are in university and trying to get into the workforce, and people who have you know about a year or two of experience. I do really think sponsorship is key you know Mm -hmm. you talk about mentorship a lot and having mentors are great because they can be there to be your sounding board and help you think through you know a problem but sponsor a sponsor is someone who will vouch for you someone who will say that yes you know link can do this sean can do this they have the potential to do this and they will be saying those things even when you are not in the room so if you yeah. think that you would just show up at work and do good work and keep your heads down, that's not going to work. Yeah. Right? Like I said, you know, once you hit a certain level, there are just as many qualified candidates for that next position that everybody yeah. all like everybody wants. And what matters is who is going to be there to vouch for you and yeah. sponsor you. So you know, of course, if you're a good worker, you build a good reputation for yourself, then naturally that sponsorship will come. But I'm just trying to put it out there for people to know that, you know, just doing good work is not enough. Yeah. That resonates a lot. Yeah. You got to play the game. You got to play the game. (laughs) And what game would that be? The game of life. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, maybe we have. We need to dedicate another episode for um, for playing the game. For playing the game. <laughs> How to play the game? <laughs> episode five. I don't know if that's episode five, but maybe yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that. But that does resonate. Yeah, finding people who will vouch for you. Super important to mm-hmm. your job. Mm-hmm. It helps also like add a sense of community. Mm-hmm. It it helps you build trust with others, mm-hmm. and helps you feel like you belong. And also gives you an outlet where you feel safe talking to someone potentially. You can share some things that aren't going so well in your career or your job or your team. And it's a place where you build trust with someone. And it doesn't have to be your direct manager. This can be a manager on another team that you've had a coffee with that, you know, you share a lot of the same interests and they see a lot of themselves in you. And now they want to be like a mentor to you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It can also be a peer. Mm-hmm. Someone who will works beside you and will fight to make sure you get recognition for the stuff that you have been doing. Yeah. And now that you mentioned peers, I think a lot of the opportunities that I've had in my career is because my peers are out there yeah. you know, campaigning for me. Yeah. And they, they and say all these good things. Yeah. Which, and word gets spread pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you would come talk in the town. Yeah. So the last piece mm-hmm. that I want to talk about and I hope people find it entertaining, which is take every career advice with a grain of salt. But all the stuff that we have been talking about, <laughs> that yeah. is based on our experience, what we've nice. seen that work for us, doesn't work for us. And I think when you talk to people, everyone share their advice with good intention, but that doesn't mean it will work for you. It might have been working for the person who's sharing these advice with you, but always try to see, you know, whether it can be applied in your case or yeah. whether they are in a different position, different part of the bank, different part of the industry. So just take it with a grain of salt and just know that everyone will progress at their own pace. And there's no such thing as, am I moving too slow, too quick? You move at the pace that you feel comfortable because guess what? You know, a lot of time as you progress in life, priorities change and yeah. your career might not always be the number one priority. Yeah. When you have kids, your career might need to take a step back. So it all depends on where you are and what you want to do. Yeah. A lot of our experience, all of our experience is focused very much in technology and finance in Canada, Mm -hmm. in metropolitan cities. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. it might not apply. You're totally right. If you are a career musician, none of this (laughs) will apply to you. Or maybe some of it will, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to be career Take it musician. with a grain of salt. That's right. So you have to make smart decisions in your career. And that leads us to our advice. Ooh. You need to make smart decisions. Oh, what? Sorry. I want to empower our home <laughs> to make smart decisions for us. That's right. <laughs> that was a really lame intro, but we're going <laughs> to talk about our vice of building a smart home. <laughs> if, yeah. if it didn't click with that really weird intro. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, Sean has a lot to say about this topic. I, I guess I do. Mm-hmm. I've been, I, I really love the internet of things. That's what you kind of collectively reference, mm-hmm. like all these smart devices as. Can you give us rough guess of how many smart devices do we have in our home if you're including smart light bulbs Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know 25 25 yeah okay yeah that sounds reasonable right yeah yeah we have you know we've got a google home in most of the major rooms Mm -hmm. i would like to have one in the bathroom but i haven't done any research yet about whether they'd be able to withstand the moisture and humidity that would be nice though Mm-hmm. lots of smart bulbs we've got what else at our, at our old place we had a smart oven that's pretty cool mm-hmm. the front door smart lock mm-hmm. yeah uh we have automatic blinds but they are unfortunately not, not smart. smart they're pretty oh, dumb no they're pretty dumb you have a remote oh you have to click the remote and you can't just say yeah it's okay like, it's like cave living like a caveman <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We need to do. We need to do something about that. There, there is a device you could buy that will like emit a frequency, oh. and and like allow you to control the blinds with your voice. But I haven't looked too much into that one. But there's there's a lot there. The thermostat, 
Mm. I'm, I'm all in with Google Nest products, fortunately <laughs> or unfortunately. So it's Google everything. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's nice. Though I don't think we use our Google Home to its full capacity. We, we, we use it for the weather. <laughs> That's the only thing I use it for. We use it for the news. Well, not so much anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't listen to the news. <laughs> that sounds so bad. We have our head in the sand, folks. <laughs> all, all we listen for is like, can we travel? Can we travel? Can we go yet? Mm-hmm. No. Now we can soon, but yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the obsession with a smart home? I think people like quality of life improvements. At the end of the day, they want to make their lives easier. Mm-hmm. And they really like media that shows like, oh man, look how futuristic this is. Like you are living in the future if you can make your door unlock with your voice or as you approach it, it will unlock. Like that is to me super cool. Mm-hmm. That is the future. We are living in the future with smart homes. A lot of my coworkers might chastise me for this because you give a lot of data and pri- like you give up your privacy essentially with the more smart products you have in your home. Mm. There are ways to kind of defend against it, but I don't really care. Google cannot have all my data. They already <laughs> do, I'm assuming. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's definitely a vice. Yeah. You don't need to spend so much money on this stuff. You can just get one Google home and be happy, but. What other smart products can we get? Oh my gosh. To upgrade so our home even TV. further. We have a smart TV. Smart, yeah, that's true. Washer dryer. Ooh. Like every every home appliance can now be made smart. Mm. Um uh, smart vacuum. You got the Roomba. Mm. Right? Yep. That that's a that's a great time saver. Keeps your floors clean. Yeah. I'm uh, not sure how smart that thing is. We no, have one of those. We we have one. That one is, it's a pretty dumb one. It can't <laughs> be controlled. You press a button and it'll go. And this is the one that can't detect when it's getting close to a wall. So just like bump into the wall and scrape, scrape against it. <laughs> so after a period of time, you'll just see like a gray line <laughs> about Roomba height, like all across your apartment or condo or home, because it's just like scraping against all the doors and windows and scuffing it all up. It's I guess so nervous whenever we turn that thing on. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some videos about there of it like rolling over some stuff that it would really be best not to roll over. That is crazy. Well, folks, if you have any recommendation <laughs> for us for uh, smart devices that we can yeah, yeah. install in more? our home, send us our way at career advice. Info, Info at careeradvice.com. Career career and if you have any feedback or ways we can make the show better, Please also let us know. Info at careeradvice.com. But I think that's going to do it for this episode. We don't want to keep it too long. I hope you have learned something, maybe got a few tips out of this. Maybe we're entertained a little bit. <laughs> but we will catch you next time on Career, Career Advice. Advice. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. For in. Whoa. Goodbye. Goodbye.